welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message. I'm going to start with a, a quick story. There was an emperor who needed an heir to the throne. And so he didn't have a son of his own. So he invited all the young men from the city to come to his courts. And he said to them, I'm going to choose from one of you an heir to my throne. I'm going to give each of you a seed and you're going to take that home for a year and nurture that seed and grow that seed. And at the end of the year, I'm going to invite you back to the courts. And from what I see, I'm going to choose my heir to the throne. So there was a young boy named Ling and he was very excited about this because he thought it was a great opportunity for him to try and become the heir to the throne. So he went home with his seed like all the young boys did. And he went to his mother and he told her all about it and his mum was excited for him and, and helped him uh, get a pot and good soil for the seed. And he planted the seed as all the other young boys would have done. And he watered that seed faithfully every day, nurtured that seed. After a couple of weeks, nothing was happening. His seed wasn't growing and he would go out into the city and he'd talk to the other boys and they would be talking excitedly about what their seeds are doing, that they've shooted and some are looking this big and some are looking that big and they were very excited about what their uh, seeds were growing into, plants and trees. Well, Ling didn't say that his seed wasn't growing, he just didn't say anything. After six months, he realised that his seed was obviously dead. Nothing was happening with his seed. And when he would go to the city, he'd hear all the other boys talking about how great their plants and their trees were and how much colour they had and how strong they were. When it came to the end of the year, the king called all the young lads back into his courts and they all came with their pots and their plants and flowers. Well, Ling didn't want to go. When he got the message that it was time to come in, he didn't want to go. And he said, I'm not going, Mum, it's too embarrassing. Um, I, I don't have anything to give. I'm going to look stupid. But his mother encouraged him to go. He said... The king gave you the seed, so you need, need to add a respect. Go back and show him what you have. And so he, he thought his mum's probably right, so he did go. And he went and stood at the back of the courts and he saw all these young boys with their wonderful plants and flowers and everything. And there he stood at the back with his pot. And the king saw him and he said to Ling, come forward. He got his guards to go and get him because Ling was standing back. And he said, come forward. And Lin was, Ling was afraid and scared and he came forward. And the king turned him around to face all the people. And he said, this young man is the heir to my throne. Well, of course, everyone was shocked. His, his tree hasn't even grown. I mean, they were laughing at him when he walked in the courts that his tree or plant hadn't even grown. But the king said... When I gave you all a seed, I boiled them all and I killed all your seeds. So none of you had a seed that was alive. But what you all did, you all replaced your seeds with the, one, the seed that I gave you, you replaced them with seeds that would grow. But Ling was the only one who was honest enough to not change his seed, but to bring his seed back to me the way I gave it to him. So that's really a lesson in honesty because out of that, Ling was able to become king or emperor of that city. But more than a lesson in honesty, and this is what I wanted to tell you about, is the vulnerability that it took. Because you imagine yourself in Ling's place, the vulnerability that it took to walk into that, to walk into the courts and to face all the other young boys with their beautiful plants and to face the king with nothing but his pot of soil that had nothing growing in it. That took a lot. And you know what? That that's what God asks of us 
He asks us in community to show up with our authentic selves, to show up with who we are and with what we have. See, fear and embarrassment could have stopped Ling, like fear and embarrassment stops us from doing a lot of things, from stepping out and doing things, from sh just showing up. Sometimes fear and embarrassment and shame will stop us even from showing up in church on a Sunday morning because we just don't feel good enough about ourselves and so we just don't come. Like we've heard before, we've just had some great... Um, Karen, it was great worship and then Andrew spoke a great word over the offering and, and Martin spoke a great word over communion. And it's, God's amazing because it all lines up with what I'm bringing you today as well. We're enter entering into a great year here at Hope City Church. We've had some amazing words over our church from Adam and Thompson and Adrian Beale, from Barbie Brethert, from Lana Vorza, from Matt Sorgo. We've had some great words and I know that we're all nurturing together because we want to see those words come into fruition here at Hope City Church. We want to see our church grow and we want to advance God's kingdom. And we live together in community here, shoulder to shoulder, heart to heart. We work and move together to advance God's kingdom. And you know Jesus does the same in community with the Holy Spirit and the Father. They work together. They share their vision together. They work heart to heart together. And that's what God calls of us to do as well. But to do that, we have to be vulnerable with, with one another. Proverbs 27 verse 17 says, In the same way that iron sharpens iron, a person sharpens the character of his friend. So if we want to grow together, we need to show vulnerability. We need to show up as our true selves, to let people know who we really are, to let people know what we're struggling with. Of course, it goes without saying that we choose people that we've trust, that we trust and who've earned our trust, people who have earned the right to listen to our story. But you know, to be truly known can be an excruciating feeling just to show up and to let yourself be truly known and it's very vulnerable so what is vulnerability it's not weakness as we've heard as we saw in Ling's story vulnerability takes courage it's it's emotional exposure Martin was emotional today and if you carry shame you can feel like exposed but when you know the love of God in your life, you're not afraid to be emotional because this is who I am. And it's that what caused us to really be impacted by the message that he shared today. It's taking risks. Will you still like me if I show you who I really am? Will you still accept me if you know what I struggle with? Will you laugh at me if I tell you this story that happened to me? Vulnerability is showing your creativity to someone, doing a piece of artwork and being courageous enough to show someone and say, this is what I've done. Is it acceptable? Do you like it? I used to write a lot of scripts and funny scripts. And the, the most vulnerable experience for me was bringing my script to the producer and let, having them read through it and waiting for them to laugh in the right spot or waiting them for them to understand the plot. It's, it's an excruciating feeling because you don't want to fail. You don't want to be told you're not good enough. But vulnerability is stepping into something new 
not knowing whether you're going to have victory or failure. But stepping out of your comfort zone and daring to engage anyway. And Theodore Roosevelt said a great quote. Far better is it to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy nor suffer much because they live in a grey twilight that knows not victory or defeat. And it's really people who have numbed themselves to all emotions because they fear failure. I'll talk a bit more about that after, but... I believe that Jesus lived with complete vulnerability and transparency when he walked the earth. He did everything that God asked him to do. He never put up walls. He loved fully and freely. And in Paul's writings, it's scattered with verses about how Paul and the um, disciples shared their lives with other people. They not only shared the truth and love of Jesus, but they shared their own lives, their heart and their soul with people. In Thessalonians, it says... We were pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. And that would have just been the good part of their lives. They would have shared their, their fears, their sufferings, their pains, their negativity. So staying vulnerable is a risk that we have to take as a church community if we want true connection. And I have learned that the one thing that will stop me from being vulnerable and showing up as my authentic self, is listening to the voice of shame. Brene Brown is a research professor and she says the voice of shame either tells you those two things, that you're not good enough or who do you think you are. And those were the things I was thinking about. I'm not good enough. I haven't done enough study. I haven't experienced enough of life. Who am I? Who am I to stand up here and, and share my experiences and share what I know about God? Who am I? And we've all had those tapes playing through our head in, in every circumstance. This was mine, but you have all other experiences that you've had where you think, who am I to be doing this? Who, who am I? You see, shame tells me that I need to let you know all the courses I've done and the degrees that I've got and the experiences that I've had so that you think that I'm worthy of listening to me. That's what shame will tell me. But God tells me that his gift and call on my life is enough. And I am enough. Yeah. But it's not always easy to get to that place, to understand that place. And we need to recognise what shame is to deal with it. So let me just give you a quick um, definition. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed that we are not enough and therefore we're not worthy of love and belonging. I'm sure every one of you sitting here can go back to a shameful memory and bring that feeling back up. It's not that I want you to do that, but if you really wanted to, you could. You, you could experience that intense feeling of embarrassment or shame or something that you felt. Shame is disconnection. It's a fear that we've done something or we haven't accomplished something we haven't met a goal that we've had and that makes us unworthy of connection. It's actually the basis of self-hatred. And I understand shame really well, as I'm sure a lot of you do. We visited our new a little granddaughter yesterday and her life on earth begins with a beautiful, clean, fresh page. And she'll get her value and her worth mirrored back to her from loving parents, from loving grandparents, from siblings, from, from family, from extended family. 
So a lot of us have been fortunate enough to grow up in positive families where we get a lot of affirmation, a lot of um, a, a sense of belonging from our family, that we're, that we're worthy, that we're worthy of, of love, that we're worthy of connection, that we're worthy of being in that family. We get our worth from them. But some of us have grown up in not so positive families where not a lot of affirmation has been spoken over you, where words have been spoken maybe out of jest or off the cuff but that have pierced deeply into our hearts. And somewhere down the track in our lives, something triggers those words and they come ringing in our ears again. We hear those words all over again. Just an example of words like, my brother used to love calling us ugly. And so sometimes they're words that, as you're older, you know the truth about what God says to you. But sometimes those, when you're having a bad day, those words still ring in your ear. Even, it can even be, you know, just a tone of voice or a roll of the eye that when you're a child or even as you get older as a teenager that you do something and your parent or your teacher or someone close to you goes, oh, or just has a tone that's, that, that's harsh and makes you feel a bit silly. I even remember not that, probably about five or six years ago, I rang up, my son was having an appointment with his physio and I rang up to say that he'd forgotten the appointment and the other end of the, the phone the physio goes which made me feel shame as a mother that my son had forgotten his appointment how silly is that but I'm just I'm sure what I'm saying to you is triggering lots of things that you know in your life that have caused shame in, even when our kids are little, we can often imitate them, especially if you're a brother or sister, imitate your kids crying, eh, I'm, I'm hungry, eh, 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 and you imitate them. And what does that say to the child? It says your, your feelings aren't valid, your feelings aren't worthy. Another thing that I think that in this generation that we really need to be careful about is playing on our iPhones and our, our computer and our iPads in front of our children, that we sit there and um, focus on something else rather than our children sitting there. Because what message is that giving to them that they're not worthy of your time, that, a, that a, an iPhone, an iPad, a computer is more worthy of your time than they are. The classroom is a perfect soil for, for growing shame, as we all know that, being teased, being picked last on the team. Shame about our own bodies, about our own bodily functions. I'm even really conscious of when I change my little grandson's nappy, that I don't go, oop, ooh, you stink, oh, ugh. Because even those things can, without knowing, can really go down deep into a child's soul and they feel that there's something not quite right with them. When I was growing up, I had a really bad skin. I'm going to be vulnerable here. I had a really bad skin. I used to talk a lot like this so that people wouldn't look at my skin. And, you know, I know that real wash of shame that comes over you. I was teaching. I was in my early 20s and I walked past a group of students and I heard the girls saying to each other, oh, look at her, she's got really bad pimples. And that wash of shame as an adult walking past a group of, of children, probably back then I didn't quite know how to handle that like I would now, but that was a really difficult experience for me. And we've all got experiences like that about the way we look. A lot of us can have shame from the way we look. I used to go out in the sun a lot to try and um, dry out my skin, to, you know, because that was a thing you did back then. But of course now I have a lot of sun damage on my face. I can feel shame about that, that I, I don't look, I look older than I should for my age, or that there's women my age 
who look fantastic. They've still got really great skin. I remember my son's friend, his mum dropped him over because he was coming away with us for the week and I'd never met her before. And I looked at her and I thought, she looked so young, she looked like she was his sister. And when he hopped in the car with us, I jokingly said, but it came from a place, a place of pain, I jokingly said to him, did your mum have you when she was 12? Because she looked so young. And I could be really down on myself and say that was a really, really jealous remark to make. And at that time it probably was. But over the years, through God's revealed to me that it's not jealousy, it's my shame. It's, that's tapping into my shame that I shouldn't look, I don't look the way I think I should look. So I'm really learning a lot about shame because I'm preaching to myself here today as, I, as I'm preaching to you. But I want you to go on that journey of being released from shame, the same journey that I'm on. So shame is highly correlated with addictions, depression, violence, aggression, bullying, eating disorders, suicide. You can feel shame about everything and anything. You can even feel shame about feeling shame. <laughs> you can't get, if you let it, because sometimes you think that your pain, well, why, why am I so upset about this? There's, there's so many other people that, that are so much worse off than me that have got so much more pain than me. I should be over this. And you feel shame about that. But we have to remember that pain is pain, no matter what level. Whether you fall from a three-storey building or whether you fall from a one-storey building, the pain is the same. If you were the recipient of something really bad that happened to you, shame will tell you that you could have done something about it. It's, it's your fault. There's something wrong with you. Or if you participated in something that you did that hurt someone else, shame would tell you that God can't forgive that. You're not good enough for forgiveness. So Brené, Brené Brown says, while it feels like shame hides in our darkest corners, it actually tends to lurk in all of our familiar places, including appearance, body image, parenting, family, money, work, mental and physical health, Addiction, sex, ageing and religion. Shame can live in all those areas. It's built on lies. Shame is totally built on lies. It's things that we believe about ourselves, images of ourselves in our minds that are incorrect. So if you see yourself as a failure or have things in you right now that cause you to feel shame, then you, like all of us, have an imagination that needs to be healed and restored by God. And we need to renew our minds. If you are born again, washed in the blood of Jesus, you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You have the righteousness of Jesus. But we still live out of our old habits of thinking, our old mindsets. We are a new creation. We are a new person. The old has gone, the new has come. I'm not that person anymore. When I was born again, that sin nature has gone. But my mind still keeps telling me that it's there because it's old habits, it's old thinking, it's old patterns that we step into. It's triggers that happen that send us down that path. So why am I talking about shame? Because shame isolates you and shame does not help you build community. 
Shame isolates you from being with other people, from being truly yourself. If we want to grow together as a church in community and show the love of Jesus, we have to show up as our whole selves. And we have to show up as our authentic selves. And shame will stop us from doing that. Shame encourages orphan thinking. I'm not lovable. I don't matter. I have to perform to get attention. I have to do more. I, 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 I. And it encourages an independent spirit. We can say, I'm not going to let anyone hurt me ever again. I'm going to reject people before they can reject me. I will not be vulnerable. I will not let others control me. I'm going to be free from all of that. But that's actually counterfeit freedom. Because that sort of freedom requires pushing people away from us. But the freedom that comes from walking in the love of God is a freedom that builds deep relationships and builds deeper love. So shame will hinder us from fully embracing community and engaging in community. Our default setting is to hide shame, to numb shame. And the way we do that is that we numb shame by keeping busy. We numb shame by excessive exercise, by overeating, uh, by all sorts of addictions, by shopping, by um, living our life through our children. We didn't reach the goals that we wanted to live in our life, so we're pushing our children to do that. So we're living our life through our kids, trying to appease our own shame. But you know, when we numb shame, we also numb the good emotions. We actually numb joy, we numb happiness, we numb hope. I loved my dad. He's passed away now. But he was someone who, from my understanding now, he never really spoke about it. But as you get older, you begin to look back on your parents and you can see the things that they struggled with. And um, he had a lot of pain in his life, a difficult upbringing. But he numbed his pain and he numbed his shame. He went to war in Indonesia. He never spoke about that. So I don't know what happened to him there, but I'm, I'm sure there was a lot of pain and suffering. But he numbed all that by alcohol. He, wasn't, he was a functioning alcoholic, so he, he had his routine drinks. But I could see his life was numb. So he numbed all the pain, but he numbed joy and hope. I never saw him as really, really happy. The only times I actually saw him really happy was when he had a few too many drinks. And then that's when he was happy. But he ne he never, I never saw him have great victories in his life. He didn't have defeats either because he didn't take risks and he didn't step out to try. But he was numb. And shame and fear go hand in hand because fear will stop us also from stepping into community, from engaging community because we, we fear we're going to get rejected or we're fear of failing or we're fear of looking silly. The fear of being vulnerable, open and transparent because our hearts might get trampled if we do that. And yes, at times our hearts might get trampled. But if we, if we stop being vulnerable altogether, we're not truly living. So love and fear are opposites. And so if we live in fear, we can't truly live in love. If we look at 1 John 4 verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. And this perfect love is, uh, um, comes from a Greek word, teleos, which doesn't mean flawless. It means complete or fulfilling its, its purpose. So it, he who fears has not been made whole in love or well-formed in love. 
So we know that shame and hindrance are, are fears to walking in a lifestyle of love and community that God calls to us. Shame puts walls up, fear puts walls up. When we put walls up around to protect ourselves, we're putting walls up with God as well. So we think we're protecting ourselves from people, but we're not having true intimate relationship with God either. So when we live in shame, we're self-deceived de- and, and we, we live out of these lying emotions that we believe. And we need trusted friends to mirror God's word of God's word to us, his love to us. We have to have the courage to be vulnerable, to share our shame and pain so that we can have truth reflected back to us. Shame has its power when it's hidden in secrecy and silence and under fear of judgment. But once it's exposed and brought out into the light, it loses its power. So shame lives in darkness. When you bring that shame out into the light and tell somebody what's going on or what you're thinking about yourself or what's going on in your life, when you bring that out, it loses its power. And the enemy's going, oh, it's in the light. I can't use that anymore. I can't use that against them anymore because it's, it's, it's exposed. So empathy kills shame. Empathy slays shame. That's why you need to talk about your shame because you need to hear empathetic words from other people that help you deal with that shame. There's a whole God factor and I'm coming to that. So, but it's the ability to stand in someone else's shoes and to identify with their feelings and their perspective without judgment. You may not agree with them, but you're listening to them. And that's what shame needs. Shame needs people to listen to them so that it's exposed. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11, encourage and comfort one another and build one another up just as you are doing. You can't comfort one another if you're not sharing your pain or your shame or your vulnerabilities. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins, because sometimes shame is bound in your own sin. Sometimes shame comes from what other people have done to you, but bound in your own sin. So confess your sins to one another, your false steps, your offences, and pray for one another, that you may be healed and restored. The heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man or believer can accomplish much when put into action and made effective by God. It's a dynamic It is dynamic and can have tremendous power. So a key component for building community in our church this year is empathy. We be vulnerable and we show empathy. Shame disconnects, empathy connects. So we're looking at the the horizontal of empathy, that we need empathy from other people. But now let's look at the vertical from from God's perspective. And when I, was, when I was preparing this, I thought, you know, we have the vertical of God's perspective and we have the horizontal. And when the two meet, that's where the power is. Because we get, we get the wisdom, the revelation, the reflection from other people in our lives and we get the wisdom and, and revelation from God in our lives. So you can't have one without the other. We've talked about this before where... I mean, I know there's sometimes a season where people don't connect with the church, but some people haven't connected with church for a very long time because I think it's okay, it's just God and me. But you need the horizontal as well. You need that connection with people, the vulnerability with people, so that they can reflect things back to you, that they can help you grow. That sandpapering together that we talked about before. So why is shame such a struggle for some of us still? And it's exactly what Martin was talking about during um, the communion. It's because we don't understand God's grace and unconditional love and we haven't fully received it 
his grace and unconditional love. And if we haven't fully received it, then we can't love ourselves. And if we can't love ourselves, then we're going to find it very hard to love others. The hu human nature is for love to be conditional. If you do this, then I'll do that. If you love me, then I'll love you. And we give ourselves conditional love. How many times have you spoken to yourself and said, you do something wrong, you go, oh, you idiot, Jenny. Oh. But you see, I wouldn't say that to my own children. But yet I'd, I say it to myself. So we need to learn to be much kinder with each other. And when we fail, say, it's okay. I've done the wrong thing, but I'm going to step up and try again. Romans 5, verse 8 to 11. This is from the Passion Translation. But Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. And there is still more to say of his unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful declaration, you are now righteous in my sight. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. So if while we were still enemies, God fully reconciled us to himself through the death of his son, then something greater than friendship is ours. While we were still enemies, before we even knew God. Now that we are at peace with God and because we share in his resurrection life, how much more will we be rescued from sin's dominion? And even more than that, we overflow with triumphant joy in our new relationship of living in harmony with God all because of Jesus Christ. God loved us first. There is nothing that we can do to make God love us. He loved us first. So we live, we need to live out of a life that's empowered by God's love, from his love, living a life from his love, rather than striving for his love. We must learn to receive his love because he loves us with an everlasting love. There's so many scriptures in the Bible that I could quote right now that tells us the unconditional, unfailing, deep, deep love of the Father. I used to pray, God, help me to love you more because I, 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 I just need to, to love you more and I don't know how to do that. But now I understand is, is the reason I find it hard to love God more is that I have not fully received his love and unconditional love. If I fully receive that, then my natural reaction is, is to want to love him more because of, of the love that I feel from him. So we need to start church declaring over our lives every day. When we're feeling, having a crappy day and not feeling great, we need to declare over our lives every day the unconditional love of God. Remind ourselves every day of the unconditional love of God in our lives. That's the only way to love God more. Because we have a tendency to focus on past failures and shame. And when we do that, we are meditating on something that's not even real. Because it's gone. It's been washed away. Our feelings remind us, try and tell us that they're still there. But they're, they're not. That, that's, that sin's gone. That shame's gone. God's covered it all with, his, with the blood of Jesus. As far as the east is from the west, he's removed our transgressions from us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us. There's no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. In Philippians 3.13, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Shame wants you to always remember what happened in your past. But God wants you to tell you about what he's got for you in the future. 
And that's what we need to be looking forward to the future, not to our past. Isaiah 43, 18 to 20. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God's ready to do all that for us. And he is doing that for us now. I know we're all on this, this wonderful journey with him. But don't let shame be the thing that stops you from fully embracing everything that God has for you. Because it will. If you focus on it, if you meditate on it, if you believe the lies, then you, will, you won't step into the fullness of everything God has for you. If I didn't choose on that day when Andrew asked me to preach, if I didn't choose to step into that, I'd still be sitting back thinking, oh, well, maybe I should have, but oh no, it's too scary anyway. And, but I've stepped into something that I know God is calling me to do and I'm walking in, in his destiny for me and it's fulfilling. Terrible to come to the end of your life and feel like, oh, I could have done that, but mm, I was a bit scared. No, I was just a bit too fearful to do that. You see, even now, if someone says something hurtful or shaming to me, I can say to myself now, you know, if that person really understood how much God loves them, they wouldn't say that to me. So I can have compassion for them. I actually can. And sometimes it hurts and I have to go away and process it with God, but I can actually have compassion and forgiveness for them because if they knew how much God loved them, they wouldn't speak to me like that because they would understand God's love and grace in their, their life. They would understand the overwhelming grace that he's given them as well. And the thing is, church, we are supposed to be the most loving people on the planet. People are supposed to see God's love reflected through us. So we need to challenge ourselves if you, don't feel, if you still feel areas of shame in your life, then you need to work on that this year. You need to be vulnerable with someone, talk to someone about it, trusted friends, people in your community, counselling. You need to deal with that shame and you need to allow God to deal with that shame. You need to receive his unconditional love. You can't use that excuse anymore that I'm not good enough because the Bible is full of scripture that says we are good enough. We are the righteousness of God and he will, he will strengthen us in all things that we need to do. He will do it through us and for us and in us. So we have to stop saying, I can't, I'm not enough. Who am I to do that? The bucket and the dipper story. Some of the, the younger children here might know this story. But it was created by a, a, a guy called Dr. Donald Clifton. And it goes like this. It was developed later on by other people and used in schools. But it goes like this. Imagine you have a bucket over your head. And that bucket is your heart and your soul, your mental and emotional health. And our buckets require filling every day with words of affirmation, with words of love, with the knowledge that we're loved, with, with the knowledge that we're accepted, with the knowledge that we belong. So we need those buckets to be filled every day. And we get that feeling from other people who give us positive words, from our parents when we're kids, as we get older, from our friends, from our husbands, from our wives, from the people we work with. We get our affirmation from, from them and obviously from God. We say to kids when they come to school, how, how full is your bucket? Mm, feels pretty empty today. And then you say to the children, Joe's bucket's feeling quite empty. Let, let's try today to say some positive things to Joe to try and fill up his bucket. Okay, that's great. Yep, we can do that. We're teaching kids how to understand empathy, that we all need uh, empathy. We all need words of affirmation. Because when your bucket is full, 
and this is important for kids at school and it's important for all of us, when your bucket is full, you feel calm, you feel confident, you feel at peace, you feel positive about the world and you expect positive things to happen in your life. But then we have some... Um, so that's... We, we all want to be bucket fillers, people who fill other people's buckets. But then we have people who are bucket dippers. They take things out of your bucket. So they say nasty words to you, it empties your bucket a little bit. They say something else, saying, oh, I don't like the shoes you're wearing today, or that was dumb, you didn't know that question in class, or, or you're at work and someone says, oh, I thought you would have known that piece of information, I told you about that last week. We've all got buckets over our heads and that's just dipped into our bucket because we feel a bit stupid that we didn't know that. So when your bucket is empty, it contains very few positive thoughts. You can become sad, negative, insecure, stressed, angry. And when you feel like that, then it's easy also to want to dip into other people's buckets because your bucket's empty, I'm going to dip into yours, make myself feel better. It's a great concept to teach kids what, what bullies are like. Bullies have empty buckets and that's why they tease and hurt other people because they dip into other people's buckets trying to fill their own. So that's a bucket and a filler the bucket filler and bucket dipper story. And I'm going to take this story one step further and put my own slant on, onto it. And I'll tell you why your bucket's empty, because you've got a hole in it. And that hole is shame. And so no matter how much people try and fill your bucket, no matter what positive words they put in, no matter what they say, no matter what they do, and we all know people like this. Sometimes we can even be that ourselves. No matter what you do, that bucket is always empty. Sometimes it's a small hole and it just leaks out bit by bit and so you just keep telling them good things and it sort of keeps it at a medium level. It's sort of half full of the bucket. But sometimes your hole is that big and as soon as you say something to someone, that just goes straight out through the hole so you, you're never filling their bucket. It reminded me of that song, There's a Hole in Your Bucket, Dear Liza. There's a hole in my bucket. We'll fix it, dear Henry. Liza wasn't very empathetic because... Henry was vulnerable and said, there's a hole in my bucket. Liza said, well, fix it. But she offered all the wrong solutions to fix it. And in the end, he needed the bucket to fix it, but there was a hole in the bucket. And that's like the cycle of shame. We have shame. We do everything we can to fix the shame. But in the end, the shame is still there. It's a, it's a vicious cycle. It's a never-ending cycle. But we need God to seal that hole in the bucket. And only his love, his unconditional love, his forgiveness can seal that hole in the bucket. Only he can do it. You can't fill it with anything else. You can't fix it with anything else. It's always going to be there until you have and understand the unconditional love of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus in your life. And I think as Christians, that's one thing that we've got. It could, because this bucket and filler story is, I think, just actually... Um, it's not a Christian story, it just comes from people who, who all understand the, the need for empathy and the need to be built up and affirmed. But when you have Jesus, that's where our ultimate acceptance and belonging comes from. And we can completely seal that hole because of who he is. So just let me tell you what a person with a full bucket looks like because that's what we all want to journey with. We want to help each other achieve that full bucket. We want to help each other walk in power and authority, knowing who we are in God with a full bucket. And I'm going to read it because I don't want to... This is, this is what I think what a person with a full bucket looks like. 
People with full buckets are generally wholehearted people. People. They know their value and worth and they know they are loved and worthy of acceptance and belonging. They dare to be vulnerable because their buckets are full enough to deal with failure. They deal quickly with shameful memories with any triggers so there is no hole in their bucket. They are deliberate through prayer and the renewing of the mind in choosing the right thoughts to fill the bucket. God's word is like a lid and filter on the bucket. They don't let anything in that hasn't first been filtered by God's word. If it's not in God's word, then I don't, I don't want that thought. If God doesn't believe it, I don't want to believe it either. They know what the enemy uses to try and trigger shame and they're intentional about not letting those negative thoughts dip into their bucket. They declare God's word and promises over them and they don't speak negatively about themselves or dip into their own buckets because that's what we can do. We can dip into our own bucket by speaking negatively about ourselves. The positive words and friendliness of others fill their buckets because they're vulnerable and they let people speak into their lives and they hear all the good things that people say about them. But they also know that they're responsible for their own levels of happiness in their bucket. It's not just up to you to fill my bucket. It's up to me to believe in who God says I am and to speak his thoughts into my life. Because people with full buckets know that more often than not, their own perspective and choices affect their happiness. And they've got to make the right choices and take captive the wrong thoughts, renew their mind, take the right thoughts to fill their bucket. And because of this, their buckets are often overflowing with joy and abundance, which spreads to those around them. You imagine yourself walking with a full bucket and as you're walking, all the water spraying and dripping over everyone else because you're walking with confidence, your bucket's full, you're spraying everyone else with the joy and the love and the peace of God in your life. I was down the street the other day and this was totally unexpected to me. I was just in a shop and this lady was on the phone and when she went off the phone, I was in the veggies and I looked up at her and I just smiled. I just smiled. And then I went back to what I was doing. She must have thought about it because about 20 seconds later she said, that was a really nice smile you gave me. And I said, oh, 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 I just heard you on the phone and can relate. I can relate, you know, to it. Oh, thank you so much. And then we went to the deli and there she was again. And then as she walked off, she said, you have a really great day, won't you? And I said, thanks, you too. So that day I must have been overflowing with joy. I must have had a full bucket that day. So I want to encourage you, church, people with full buckets do community really well. But if you don't have a full bucket, that's okay because we're all here to help fill your bucket and to help you walk in the confidence and truth of who you are in God. And I hope, church, as we head into this year, as we do community together, that can be our goal, to, to understand God's unconditional love for us so that we can give that love to others and that shame will not take a hold in our lives.